Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Progeny Podcast. Today, my guest is Nazanin Aswad. Nazanin is a long-term conditions and team lead at Primary Care Psychological Therapies Wandsworth, the Improving Access to Psychological Therapies, IAPT. She is also a senior course supervisor for the NHS National IAPT training program. She has worked as a psychotherapist and clinical supervisor in the NHS since 2004 and trained in cognitive behavior therapy, behavior couples therapy and counseling psychology. Assalamu alaikum sister, welcome to the progeny. Thank you for making time for the, this podcast. Alaikum assalam rahmatullah. Uh, let's start by talking about uh, your profession. Um, how did you get into that? I guess they always say you become a psychologist because you probably have suffered from a form of distress. I wouldn't say mental health, but possibly as well. But you usually have experienced what it's like to feel distressed or possibly feel lonely or possibly feel fear, anxiety, any form. Uh, I think growing up during the uh, war um, where I lived, had kind of triggered an element of fear of losing people and uh, I, I guess I had, I had witnessed people dying and bombing and that sort of stuff so we're talking the Iran-Iraq the Iran-Iraq war but prior to that the um, deportations of the Shiite Kurds in Baghdad where we were um, deported and imprisoned for a while so I think that for a, for a young child I had experienced quite a lot of uncertainties and anxieties Um not knowing necessarily that it had an impact on me because I guess I was very much supported by a very strong family. Um, however, when I um, went to Iran, I, I remember one day I saw a girl really, really distressed at school and I dropped what I was doing and I ran toward her to try and calm her down. And I remember getting a good feedback from my teacher and she kind of asked me to literally just keep an eye on her. And it appears she had just lost her father. And my heart just broke for her. Came home, spoke about it, and, you know... But what was interesting is that two, three, probably a week later, I met someone who worked as a psychotherapist, as a psychologist. She was an Iranian lady. Um, it was a social gathering. And I asked her, what do you do? And she said... She did what she, you know, she did psychology, and I was like, well, what was that about? And she said she liked to make people feel better about themselves. I love the idea because um, I, I had that girl at the back of my mind. And I think that's, that's what it was. It all started from that. And then she said to me, if you want to know more about it, you, you know, there's this book. I think I was probably 12 years old then. And then I knew what psychology was, I guess, and I started reading. Um, at school, I did um, um, psychology for my GCSEs. And then obviously I came to the UK um, at the age of 16 and I father took that sort of studied psychology um, but when I arrived in UK things were really really tough I felt um, quite depressed because it wasn't my country I was very different you know wearing a hijab people didn't talk to me felt quite odd outsider I missed Iraq missed uh, sorry my friends in Iran at the time and obviously this was another transition that I had suddenly recognized I had another transition um, and I think it was at that point that um, I understood what, we, what it was like to feel um, down, maybe low at times, having no interest in doing things, really missing home. Obviously, at that time, that's how it felt. 
So I think in a sense, that's how you go into, I, I believe, I always say that to also to my colleagues, but then again, I went into doing GCSEs, did A-levels, did all that stuff that's required, went to university and studied it. And it was only when I started working in the field that I was fascinated by what I was seeing. And uh, obviously, um, that's where it got me to do more and more studies. And there's something about psychology that you're not qualified and graduated, that said, by doing a degree. You still have accreditation to do. You've got clinical hours to do. You know, it's a, it's a long journey. Um, I am still studying, so it never stops. So you're always trying to make your um, knowledge and expertise when you see there is a gap or an area that you don't necessarily have experience. Touching on something you said was um, the the struggle of the Kurds, specifically the Shia Kurds. Um, that's something that a lot of people do not know about. What, what did you mean that you know the, their struggle and them being deported from Iraq? I guess the whole world knows about the genocide of the Jews mm. for ethnic cleansing. Mm. Not a lot know about the genocides of the Kurds, the Shiite Kurds. Again, another ethnic cleansing, uh, where uh, my um, my um, father was in prison, my uncles, my cousins, we lost what possibly 70s 80s men within one one kind of well family be- between our cousins and you know um and saddam hussein literally took all the young men and deported all the women and because they were shia kids. they were shia kids and he was going into war against iran and how old were you then i was six years old do you remember absolutely god yeah that's made me who i am now you know i still have the nightmares sometimes where you're woken up out of the blue because there's police everywhere. So, of course, that doesn't leave you. Trauma is something that doesn't leave you, and that's what that's another mental health issue. Um, one of the things I could say, that any mental health issues that I may have suffered, and I'm normalising it, as you can see, because it's so normal. Mm-hmm. If I've got a bad stomach, if I have acid attacks, it's got nothing, no, no different to having mental health issues. Obviously, there are mental illnesses, and there are mental health issues and psychological distress. It's, it's different. You treat them differently, of course. You know, the, the point of when I first spoke to you was to try and um, have you as our guest to give mental health more awareness within yes. our community. Um, it has been spoken about recently, I've noticed, by, you know, maybe certain organizations, certain speakers, certain people that are involved in community work. But sometimes, one, I feel it's not enough Two, I feel maybe it's not the right people speaking about it. And if they are, mm. they might be making mistakes within within, within what they're speaking mm. about. But at least there is something happening, but not enough. So let's start, if you don't mind me, start from, from, from you know, being the basics. You know, what is mental health? Um, I guess it's how we see ourselves, how we see the world. In a negative way, I would say, if we see it in a fantastic way, then that's brilliant. But sometimes uh, we wake up feeling nothing matters, nothing tastes as good as it did a few days ago. Um, suddenly, I'm kind of losing interest in things. Um, um, it, it, it's it's like um, there are so many different aspects to it. I think if I was to start from a, a there are so many school of thoughts how they explain mental mm. health. But if I could get you to think about how our um, past experiences, um, upbringing, parenting, schooling, socioeconomics, 
impact on the way we see ourselves, we see the world, we see others. So if I was to be brought up in a family where I'm constantly being told to be frightened, to be scared, to be kind of, don't trust this, don't do this, you know, you'll get hurt. Um, lots of worries, lots of anxiety. Of course, that's how I see the world. And of course, based on those negative experiences, I end up developing these beliefs about myself. I'm capable, I'm not capable, I'm good enough, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. Um, others can't be trusted. You know, that, that style of thinking that impacts on how we start feeling. Okay, so there's a strong relationship between our emotions and our cognitions and how we think and how we, feel, how, how we see the world. So when we talk about cognition, I always like to um, make it very clear, clear that cognitions can be memories. You know, I talked about like, you know, I've got these memories from the past that pops into my mind. Obviously, if we've not addressed them, they will impact on how we're feeling on a daily basis. Mm. Um, there is images that pops into our mind. Sometimes um, they don't necessarily have to be traumatic images. I might have had an argument with someone and then suddenly I get an image of, of that argument into my mind and the impact that has on my feelings. So there's a relationship between thoughts, feeling, and of course there's a relationship between your brain and your body. So if you're thinking in a negative way, then you go into a, a very much what we call a fight or flight response. And you release the adrenaline and the stress hormones and of course that impacts on your physiology. You get the palpitations, the shortness of breath, um, and kind of tight chestedness. How many people run to A and E because they have tight chested and they can't breathe? And you know, right now I'm slightly nervous talking to you. I've not done this before, so I'm getting the palpitations. Very normal because I've not done this and I'm feeling slightly anxious. And as I speak to you, I can hear myself breathing. So this is a normal response. I could be excited to have this, mm. but some people could have this thinking oh my God, he thinks I'm an idiot. Oh my God, everybody thinks I don't know what I'm talking about. I could sit here thinking I'm going to fail. It's so how you see it. Depends on how people yeah. see it. Yeah. Right now, how mm. I see it is like, it's very normal for you, Nazanin, to have these palpitations. You've mm. not done this before. You can mm. hear your voice from a, a microphone. This mm. is a normal um, reaction. And then that helps me calm down. But if I'm thinking, oh my God, Mustafa thinks I'm an idiot. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. That palpitation is not going to calm down, is it? It's going to get worse mm. and worse. And I actually will probably have a panic attack, which is hyperventilation because I'm breathing very fast as I'm talking, and then I'll have a panic attack. And when people do have panic attacks, it's not a pleasant experience. You know, it feels like a heart attack. And if we don't have awareness of mental health, of course we go to A&E and we think mm. there's something wrong with our heart. We've, we've noticed that a lot of people are talking about, you know, the, the the problem of mental health now increasing during the pandemic yes. period. H how what's the what's the relationship there? I guess uh, it's a very different situation. We're facing uncertainty regularly. Okay, we don't know the infections rising, not rising. If I speak to you, you could be carrying it, you could be giving it to me, right? So people t starting to deal with everyone that way. There's a threat. Mm. There's a threat of a virus. You know, do I hug my sister? Do I not hug my sister? Would I give it to her? Would I not give it to her? So all this uncertainty. And unfortunately, we're, we are a nation who don't necessarily know how to manage uncertainty because we seek certainty. And when I, when I don't know what I'm doing, that could cause me anxiety and panic. Okay, whereas actually we could see it from a different perspective. Um, and I, obviously I'm going to get really worried. Um, probably I've lost all my... Um, resources to cope so mm. for example um 
I know when I work very hard, I, I like to kind of do things after work. Then it was a pandemic. I couldn't do anything after work, mm. right? Not only that, I'm working from home, okay? So, and then during the pandemic, we're also have been forced to stay at home. Mm. And the outside world was rather dangerous because there was a virus that we didn't know much about. And of course, if you don't know how to manage worry and, and um, anxiety, of course, it just exacerbates and it gets worse and it gets worse. Um, there's also this idea of stuck at home with people that you don't necessarily mm. spend a lot of time with. Mm. You probably leave at eight o'clock and come back at nine o'clock and then you're, you're in bed by 11. So you hardly see people face to face. And then quite a lot of marriages had a huge challenge during the pandemic because they're suddenly stuck with their partners 24 hours. And plus you have the children. So you live in a very sort of tight place possibly. But obviously there was a lot of distress because we lost our norm. Mm. That's where flexibility and being flexible and being kind of creative again you know how do i how do i do deal with this i never worked from home i never did any supervisions via zoom i've mm. never worked seen a patient via zoom but i had to be creative i had to be okay how do i manage this so it's an attitude isn't it like if you can't change the situation you live in you change your attitude towards it because it's not the situation that causes that distress it's how you see it um, and we know prisoners have come out with fantastic books that mm. they've written and a lot of theories have come out of prison and Imam Musa al-Kalam is, is one that is often talked about and bless mm. his soul mm. he was in prison most of his life How do, what's the you, since you mentioned Imam al-Kalam what's the relationship with the work that you do and faith do you, do you sometimes think, you know, because of my faith, I'm stronger and I can deal with this? I'm talking not just you personally. So yes. I mean, the question is like, yeah. can people say, because of my way, faith, I can deal with this? Because yeah. of my faith, it supports me. Well, I guess life. faith gives you um, uh, meanings. Mm. You know, without it, we probably lost for meanings. If you don't have faith, you look for a philosophy. Mm. You look for a school of thought to follow. You either follow the communism, you follow, I don't know, the, the um, XYZ philosopher or, or the theorist. Um, faith gives us meanings. We structure our lives and we find meanings through distress by learning from, from faith. And of course, we, we have a, a book that kind of guides us as well. So it's not just a Quran that we read in Ramadan. Basically, it guides us. It tells us to... To how to live your life as well but we also have stories we as um, Shia Muslims we have a lot of stories of resilience don't we we know that everyone struggled within our imams mm. and um, and when we hear their stories and the resilience and that actually the, the the more patience you have the more you reward you will get so of course if I guess everyone prays and everyone's fasting and everyone says I'm a Muslim but whether we are truly following what our faith is telling us um, that's a different story of course so the idea of how do I use my um, my faith in work as well if I work with a patient that has a faith I can draw some strength I can I can draw some stuff from that um, within the Christianity we talk a lot about Jesus and, and the suffering you know and how he did it with love and 
um, within um, other uh, religions equally the same. But Muslimian as well, we talk a lot. Like I think for me personally, as a person, um, I took my strength from the story, of course, of, of Imam Hussein, which is one of the stories we hear regularly every year. But whether we see the true story is a different thing, you know, because we're, we're seeing resilience. Mm. We're seeing people who accepted their destinies. We're seeing people who surrendered to the call of God. And these are stuff we can actually like if there's no comparison, but if the pandemic was anything like that, then resilience, that's what we need to think about. You know, if Imam Hussein can cope. You know, there's been times where um, someone's having a child who's very sick. And I would say, we always go to these majalis, you know, what would what would Imam Hussein do when his sons were killed? You know, and I always give that sense and people kind of take that step back and say, well, if he could do it. So, of course, you, you kind of pull stuff like that if you believe in it. A lot of people, unfortunately, don't have that strong belief. So you draw strength from... I, I I have I have worked with people, be it Buddhist, be it Jewish, be it Christian. If they have a strong belief, of course, it helps us find meanings. You know, when you find meanings in struggling, it ends with dignity. Mm. So when you're struggling, this is what um, a famous uh, phenomenologist says that he was a um, a Jewish psychiatrist who was thrown into the the camp. And through that, he was kind of seeing how people were losing their strength. And he actually kind of, the stronger he had meanings, the, the more meanings he had, the more he was able to make sense of it. And that's what he said. He said, when you find meanings in your struggles, it, it ends with dignity. So that's, there's, a, there's a school of thoughts. There's a psychotherapy approach which is called phenomenology. Like, you know, you just kind of um, try and understand the phenomena, make sense of what is it like for me to be sitting here? with you why am i here you know why am i sitting here what's the purpose of my meeting with you today and of course if there are understanding in our distress what does it mean why do i have to suffer why can't i have children for example somebody mm. might say why is xyz is able to have a happy marriage why is so and so is married to the to the man or the the woman they really like why was i divorced mm. Okay, so all these uncertainties. We start asking these questions. We start asking these questions, and if we have strong faith, we accept the will of God. Of course, we're not just going to sit there and okay, we, God will send us a good husband somehow. It doesn't work like that. Of course, there's a, a two-way relationship. There's, I have to work harder. That's why it says Yad Allahi Aidikum. It doesn't say, you know. So you really got to pull your hand forward for God to put His hand. When we spoke over the phone, you mentioned something that was quite interesting. Um, We've all heard this hadith before, um, and when we were having the conversation, you brought it up, which was, and again, you, I, I remembered it now because you're, sp you're speaking about meaning. And you said, you know, Man arifa nafsa arifa mm. I, I thought, wow, you know, we, we say this all the time. How is this hadith, which is whoever knows, if I can translate it, if you know yourself, you will know your Lord. Mm. How is this related to mental health and and? giving meaning to, to, to your purpose, maybe your yeah. life. I think just before I go into that answer, it's so important that we practice what we preach. Mm. Yeah? So it's so important. If I know that hadith and I just kind of... Just say it. Just say it and then I'm kind of thinking, oh, I'm so not good at this. Lip service. Yeah. So I think it's really important that... Look at that. What does that mean? Man arafa nafsa. 
You know, what does man arafa nafsah mean? How do I get to know myself? Mm. You know, and it's just getting to know yourself, your abilities, your strengths, and accepting your limitations as well. Mm. Um, getting to know um, how you can be as well. You know, like I, I come across, and this is, I must say, a theme, Mustafa. I think it's a theme. I come across a lot of low self-esteem. Already? Yeah. I, I could be working, I could be speaking to someone extremely confident, but deep down they're thinking they're not good enough. Mm. And um, quite a lot of us struggle with self-esteem. I'd be worried if I said, no, no, I have fantastic yeah. self-esteem. I think yeah. I, I, I worry right how I come across right now, but it doesn't mean that I have a low self-esteem. It means I'm actually aware oh, that wow. I'm anxious, but I'm not kind of saying I'm, I'm going to fail. I'm not good at this. I'm just going to say, so normal, it's Adi, you'll be okay. You've done this before, you're good at this. So I bring evidence that supports I'm not that bad, mm. okay? It sounds arrogant, but no, it isn't. It's just you know yourself, you know your abilities. Okay. I also know that, um, I, you know, you, you speak to me at certain hours, and I'm knackered, I can't, I can't make sense of things. I know my limitations. If I'm distressed, I take time out because I know my limitations. So that's how I know myself. But through knowing myself, now this is going to sound arrogant. No. Through knowing myself, I kind of know how fantastic God is to have created so much mm-hmm. perfection. It does sound arrogant, but there is a lot of perfection. The fact that I can walk on two legs, not one short. You know, the fact that I'm so healthy and I'm the fact that I have this ability to make sense of things that I can rationalize I can come here and link this to this that's just not my doing it's also God's perfection but if I know my my abilities like when you said we would want to talk to you and come and talk about mental health I know I can do that you know I've studied I've done that for years I work with people with mental health issues I've got great experience but that was God given God gave me those abilities God gave me that position. God gave me this tongue to speak. God has given me this confidence I probably come across to have. Okay? I have worked on it, of course, with his guidance. He could easily take it away from me. So when I know myself, then I know him. You, you, you mentioned twice that knowing your limitations. I think that that's very yeah. important. Because sometimes, again, I talk maybe your personal experience or things around me it's it's finding out where your limitations are that it's the difficult part because then you'll you'll end up doing things that maybe you didn't think or you you thought you can do and then once you're in there you're like whoa this is too deep for me i shouldn't be um i shouldn't be here Mm. Uh, so so how how does one try and have a compass where or a scale mm. to know where their limitation is and not be in a position where they could face uh, and struggle with their mental health because they're now in a place where they you know it's out of their limits yeah no, i mean knowing your limitation limitation is your strength because mm. a lot of people think if i i have limitation it's weakness Mm. If I know that I may struggle doing this, I know my limitations, I know how much I can go. 
but also I want to look after myself so I can function tomorrow. Okay, so um, it's also important that for me to be able to provide, I have to look after myself to be able to provide. So as a therapist, as a supervisor, if I'm tired and I've taken on so much and suddenly someone says, could you do this presentation tomorrow? A, let's say so-and-so. I'm like, if I was to do that presentation, then I'm having these patients to see, then I'm having to supervise, then I'm not going to be focused. So because I want to provide, I need to take care of myself. And that's when I say I could do it in different days, but not tomorrow. And that's when I know my limitation. Limitation isn't, it's a negative word, isn't it? But yeah. it isn't. It's a very positive thing to, to know. So through knowing your limitations, like, um, um, I, let, let's say, when we are in Hajj, for example, uh, I've had the, the greatest blessing to be able to go. And I wish it for anyone who, who is able to go. And... Um, you, you're always assessed for your limitations mm. and your strength. And when you can say yes, when you can say no. And in Hajj, you're constantly being questioned. You can't do this. You can do this. You know, the amount of time I thought, there's no way I could sleep when people are talking. Mm. Until I went to Hajj. <laughs> there's people shouting next to you. And I'm deep asleep. Mm. So... These are the limitations, sometimes these are the limitations that I put for myself to maybe test my strength as well. And, and I think Hajj is a different story. That's a completely different podcast. That's just where you become a, an individual. That's when you know your limitations, when you know yourself, when you know your strength. Um, I was so proud to know that I was able to walk it from Arafah to Mecca. I had no idea I can walk eight miles and... I've been so, so lucky and I'm not, it's just, this is God's given, you know, it's nothing like I'm proud, you know, it's not my necessarily my doing, but every year that I had gone and walked, the journey got shorter and shorter and shorter. How and many I, times have you been had? You said every let, let's year. keep that. <laughs> <laughs> Quite <laughs> a few times, that. That I, I'm guessing. I am yeah. who I am is because of Hajj. MashaAllah. Through Hajj I got to know myself and through Hajj I got to know God. Because it's, but you have to see, you have to have the vision to see the signs. I guess that's what I was trying to say. I recall I said, one day I was sitting in the haram and I was just so tired, you know, where sleep deprivation, your legs are killing you, the final days. And I just thought, oh, does anyone have water? And everyone's like, nah. I was like, oh, I would kill for water. And then suddenly somebody says, Hajiya, do you want some water? That's something that you just don't miss. You know, a lot of people say, oh, amazing, thank you, Ashley, they can take it. And I was just like, oh, my God. And then that's, that's a sign that was thrown, and that's the meanings I was getting from there. So people say, why do you go to Hajj? It's just because I get so close to God that when I want water, he sends me water. And that's the only place that this happens. So it might happen in London. Of course, we're too yeah, busy driving. <laughs> Mm. And shouting at, in the traffics and trying to get to A to Z. But what I'm trying to say is that it's when you know yourself very well and what you want as well. Knowing what you want is a huge, huge thing. It's, it's a good place to start. Knowing your limitation. Like when I, I know what I want. I know what works for me. I know what doesn't work for me. And that can't come through not spending time trying to understand your limitations. I was... Um, 
I attended a, a, a group um, early May and we were observed. And then the feedback I had that you're so passionate about your presentation that you end up missing other people's input because you just want to sell your idea. Mm. It might be helpful to take a step back and see how what are you hearing from other people so you can sell your idea. It was something I wasn't aware of. I probably hadn't known about myself. And I actually took a step back and I kind of, now I'm trying to see if I can practice that regularly. And I actually said, what is it about my anxiety in groups where I always want to sort of be the one that kind of has their ideas and straight away and I always talk first. And I, and then I realised it's all to do with, you know, years of struggle to be recognised as a woman, that years to struggle that, yes, I am a Muslim woman, yes, I am wearing hijab, but I am as clever as anyone. Um, years of going into interviews, people seeing me like, oh, I don't think she could do the job because of the limitations that hijabs puts people in, that's people's assumptions, um, rather than actually seeing me the strongest because I'm wearing a hijab, because that actually confirms to you that I'm not bothered by what's norm out there. I'm bothered but what is right for me. How can maybe idea sisters viewing or listening to this podcast deal with the struggles that they are facing with regards to their hijab, with regards to women's rights? Within even our own communities, mm. I always mention that women within certain some communities, I want to word this properly so Women with some community within some Muslim communities are oppressed, even in the West. So in the East, definitely, but even in the West, mm. they are oppressed. Um, there's definitely a, a women's rights issue. You know, there's a lot of struggles that I, I, I'll say I'll never understand. Yeah, and I you're saying even, how could sisters? How can sisters manage you know, that? Manage with all this, you know, because you've just said, you know. You've had all these struggles and you've yeah. dealt with them in your specific way. From that journey, what advice would you give? Um, I guess not everyone is lucky to have had the chance to have a reflective space like I have through my own personal psychotherapy, through my own teaching and studying where you learn. Mm. We need to start with our brothers. Very we well. need to be able to have supportive brothers out there that support women mm. rather than be negative towards them um this is nothing to do with mental health i guess but i have been in a situation where as a woman i have been insulted by some of the brothers who go on top of those like uh, platforms and talk about islam and talk about rights and wrong without knowing they crack jokes that could be quite insulting to women so i think it's there where you show appreciation i just like to start from there you know yes we a lot of people might think we're oppressed because we have to wear hijab and that's that's the opinion people have about us outside um we are controlled by our brothers we are controlled by our parents and um i remember somebody actually saying this to me and she said the minute you walked into that meeting i was like oh god is this a patient or is this a staff Ooh. and she wanted to get up and say you know, she didn't know me. And I was like, oh, sorry, I'm a staff. I forgot to wear my, my badge. And and he's, he said, the minute you opened that gob, I was like, wow. Because you came across as so confident and you took it so easy, even though you were completely dis dis disrespected there, thinking that you're a patient. Mm. 
because a woman wearing hijab does not go into a board meetings. A woman does wearing a hijab does not sit in ethical committees. You know, she's almost always a patient. Okay, and I and I've stood there and I have kind of made comments about stuff like that. But let's come back and talk to our brothers who have the opportunity to make a difference to to make what you see in me is because of my father what you see in me is because of my brothers because of the support i have okay my father bless him he used to say nazanin is equal to five men yeah and because he had faith that i can, i am as capable as okay or my brothers when they say if i need advice i go to her i go to naz So it's about trying to support our sisters to try and support, you know, most of our ulama's as well, you know, with no disrespect or naming anyone. You know, you go on, you listen to their khutbas and you're kind of thinking, did you not think that the impact that particular word you just used? You know, it was like when Boris Johnson went out and said, you know, women look like letterbox. And the question was, did you not think about the impact this has on all those women out there? So... And, and this is not just, I'm talking about alamas that I listen to when they get on the member in, in Karbala or Najaf talking like this, because we know there's a difference in culture and expectations of women, and we need to respect that, of course. Of course. But we're talking about people here mm. who I go into those meetings or just excited to hear because they're knowledgeable in, in what they've read. As much as I think I know a little about psychology, I would think they know a little about you know, jurisprudence or, or you know, um, the law of, of, of the, you know, how, how to understand the Qur'an. And then you see someone who you, you were so excited to kind of listen to them. They speak in English or they, they speak in a language that you can understand and suddenly they crack a joke calling women devil or um, it's just a joke or our sisters must do this and our sisters must do that and they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that. So I think it's really important. I'm not going to kind of pinpoint, but I think it's about... This is food for thought. Mm-hmm. Let's sit back and say, how am I going to support Nazanin to become a director? How am I going to support Fatima to become X, Y, Z? You know, I, I go for every single senior job. I'm very lucky to be in a senior position in NHS. Impossible to get into a senior position. Okay, but it's, it's perseverance and, and continuous doors being shut in my face. But it's because I know myself, my limitations, my strength. And I know one day I can get through to someone where they think, I think she can do the job. But not a lot of girls out there have this opportunity. There are parents who don't understand their daughters. There are parents, I think we had a little example earlier when I said, it's so hot, you should wear this hijab and know what it's like to be out there. Mm. And I kind of said, all you need to do is just to validate. It must be so hard for Nazanin suddenly to walk and it's so hard and everyone's wearing vests and shorts and then she comes in her long dress and hijab. It must be odd when she walks into a cafe like that. Mm. You know, and, and how people look at her and God, the looks we get. The looks we get. You know, it's 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 a, it's not an easy job to be a woman in an un-Islamic country and try and work and be a, a professional in an institution like NHS, which is one of the biggest employers in the world. So let's start from our brothers. Let's start from these podcasts where women are not being downgraded second-handed 
you know let's you know i really appreciate the fact that you are so into my views and opinion and i can see the excitement in your face as you hear me and you know oh you said that or oh, you've said this Let, let's all be like that you know and, and i think that's where it all starts where my hijab does not get in the way anymore then my fight to keep my faith is supported by you by every single brother out there i i definitely agree with with, with that and i i think there is progress uh and within our community um, more definitely can be done it's not enough but inshallah there's there's you know um, there's other organizations there's other great scholars speakers that inshallah are, are working towards that and supporting our, our sisters um and I, as i started the, this question i said you know this is something that i will never un- understand fully because i, I, I praise be your um your shajaha to be honest i know that's not an easy question to ask no no we've um, if we've addressed this issue i think previous podcast the guys backstage don't we've addressed this issue in previous podcast so um, it's something that Alhamdulillah, I, I feel should be addressed as much as possible with regards to our, our women in our community. Coming back to, to mental health, when it comes to physical health, I want to ask this question again. I take your advice on this. When it comes to physical health, you go to a doctor, he'll say you have such, such condition for it not to get worse. Exercise, eat well, do this, do that, before you get to that stage where I have to prescribe you medication. When it comes to mental health, is there a way for someone like me who for example I'll I'll use myself as an example uh where I I'm working long hours um I am trying alhamdulillah to make sure that there are hours where I the phone is on airplane mode anything to do with uh, technology is off and I'm spending time with my family like I, I especially now alhamdulillah the weather's good so whether it's a barbecue going out so alhamdulillah I am, but is there a way for me to But there are times where I feel so stressed and I sometimes, again, speaking about my personal experience, I do a lot of freelance work for different Muslim organizations. I do this podcast, I do speak. Mm. Sometimes I stop and maybe someone may say something to me negatively or maybe I read something on my social media. I, I get some negative comments or some hate comments or hate, whatever it is. I sometimes stop and say, is, is this all, all this worth it? I'm going to give up. Let me go back to my profession. I I got a degree in uh, pharmaceutical science. Let me find a job in that. I leave all of this. So, is there a way for someone like me to prevent getting mental health problems, which yeah. make may lead to me giving up on what on what I yeah. enjoy? Yeah. How can I prevent it? You know, I'm sure exercise is one, but what other ways are there? I mean, we we often say you really need to look at your activities. Mm. I'm just talking about basic stuff, you know, having a balanced activity, you know, for good mental well-being. Mm. That's just general rule. For good mental well-being, you need to have a balanced activity where you are physical, where you are doing something that you really enjoy, where you are connecting with other people. Okay? And also you're doing something that you have the sense of achievement. So all this is really important to be. And we often, when we assess people, we often kind of look at their activities and we often say, let's see what you've been doing. And when they bring back their activity diaries, we can see all they do is work. Mm. Um, and then that's when we kind of say, well, where is the sense of achievement here? Because sometimes um, washing the dishes while you are speaking to someone on the phone could be physical pleasure sense of achievement and connecting 
all together. All okay. But what is important is also when we say in connecting with people, when things are tough, we usually isolate ourselves. We leave ourselves with our own thoughts. And I often say our thoughts can be our own enemies, especially if we are not very friend with ourselves. When I talk about being friends with ourselves, it's like, do I have a compassionate relationship with myself or do I have a very critical relationship with myself? Do I always shoot myself when I talk or do I stroke myself when I talk? Okay. Some of us are kind of saying, oh, what an idiot. You could have done this better. Or some would say, oh, you're, you're, not, you're just going to fail. You know that internal voice? And somebody else would say, it's all right, Naz. You've just had a tough time today. Just take it easy. Of course you're going to make a mistake. Okay, so there's different tone of voices here that we have. Are we compassionate or are we critical towards ourselves? And of course, that portrays itself to our relationship with other people. The more you love yourself, the more you can love people around you. So the idea would be making sure that you have a balanced activity that, again, going back to the limitations, what have I done today? How much time did I have for the loved ones? You know, how much active was I? Because I know when I work, I sit on that desk from eight o'clock until four o'clock nonstop and I'm in a meeting after one, after one, after one. And I'm listening to distress, listening to issues that are of patients' distress or supervisees or decisions, waiting list, money, all that stuff comes into it. And you're kind of constantly and it's just you're not meeting the target. Four o'clock, bang at four o'clock, I've I've literally just turned everything off. That's my general rule because now it's my time. Then I connect with people that has nothing to do with work. Then I go for a walk as well. Being active is so important, so important because of the chemicals the body releases. Mm. You can release adrenaline from stress, but you can also release adrenaline by having pleasure and doing something that's really, really exciting. So it's about being able to, to balance. And when we're feeling down, let's talk. You know, I know there was a campaign to just let, let's talk mental health. Mm. It's so important to reach out to people, to say, I'm really feeling down. I'm really questioning this. I'm not sure if I could do this. Or I'm just thinking it's just, everything's meaningless. Let's talk. Because sometimes by talking, we hear ourselves. And when we hear ourselves, then we can make better sense rather than we're carrying it in our heads. So if I have a stomach pain, I go to the GP and I take antiacids. If I have mental health, I withdraw myself, shut the doors and don't talk to anyone. However, now, if you feel you're feeling down, you're not enjoying things, you have no sense of hope, possibly wishing you would, you know, you were dead, that you didn't have to live like this, then please do speak to the GP. If you can't speak to the GP, go online. We now have uh, improving access to psychological therapies which means every single borough has a service called IAPT, Improving Access to Psychological Therapies. Mm, and for sure, yeah. IAPT. Mm. That's where you can straight away refer yourself online. You don't even need to speak to someone. Mm. Just say, I'm feeling down. They might ask you to fill in some forms and then somebody calls you. And when you tell them, I'm feeling like this and I'm feeling that I don't know what's going on, they say, well, it sounds like this is going on. It sounds like you're not doing this. It sounds like you've had a really tough time. It sounds like you've had that relationship breakdown. Suddenly I'm validated. Suddenly somebody actually makes sense of my difficulties. And of course, that's where you get help and you get support. There's a real stigma within our communities with regards to mental health. Within uh, my country, Iraq, 
that's a real problem. Maybe there is five percent improvements in the last few years, but I, I, I know, like for example, or I've heard when someone has a, a really bad mental health issue, the first thing they say about him, they use the word msodan, Adam Sodan, Khabbal. And sadly, this has continued here in the West as well, where some people who have some mental health issues um, will not speak about them because they feel there'll be a stigma. Mm. There's a negative look on them. There's a negative way that people will look at them because of their mental illness. And this social stigma would lead to discrimination against them and their families and a lot of people will never speak about this. How can we get our communities gain more awareness on mental health? And Of course, I'm guessing you agree with me, there is a stigma with, with mental health. I think historically there was. In the past few years, I would say things have changed. Okay. I'm really pleased to see that. Oh, we've got a long way to go. Okay. But having... Um, um, I mean, I train in Iraq. Um, I go down and, and I trained staff with um, Al Ain, where they provide mental health support to um, mothers and orphans. And I also supervise some of the cases at the Medinat uh, Tab in Baghdad, where I have had the opportunity to see psychiatrists. That's amazing. And cases being brought up, and, and they're just incredibly uh, thirsty for knowledge um, and then I've done some online um, supervisions of course and I continue to try and as much as I can to support when I have when I have done any 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 work I've noticed there's a lot of um, people are welcoming it you know like definitely and when we started introducing um, an element of counseling or psychological help a lot of people were attending their appointments regularly and really wanting to come um, also, when I, um, I've had like little chats here and then about mental health, I've, I've noticed people have stopped me when I was in Iraq and said, you know, I've, I've seen that um, little talk he said, and it was been really, really helpful. And, and my wife has really, really learned from it. And, and here in London, I must say, um, I was quite surprised by the, um, um, the recent video that we did uh, to introduce mental health the response was overwhelming that's how we, i invited you to the to the podcast yeah, yeah. I, i've had women sending voice messages saying this is the only time that i actually felt that i could understand what mental health was you know and 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 of course you're alone in your again i mean i'm we have a lot of new new um generation interested in mental health unfortunately not a lot of uh, young men coming into working in mental health and I would really encourage because we're desperate for um, young men and, and you know graduating from psychology and training because it's desperately needed but I think it hopefully starting to get better but yet it is a hidden matter so for example I could always be saying oh I can't meet with you, with you on Thursday because that's my th- psychotherapy session mm. um, I was okay with that but other people are like you have a psychotherapist? Why? Are you okay? Crazy. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, no, no, since mum died, I, I'm really, really struggling trying to make sense of the world without her and it's good to talk to someone. Uh, but you're a therapist yourself. I'm like, yeah, I'm a human who lost her mummy. 
and I miss her and it's tough and that's okay. So, and then at that point, the next question is, do you know what, actually, I've been looking for a psychotherapist. What would you advise? So when you're normalizing it, then suddenly you get a good response. I've had meetings where I walk out and I'm saying, gosh, I've got psychotherapy sessions, I've got to run. Okay. And, and I think in America, you have a massage therapist and then you also have a psychotherapist. It's so normal. And we need to do that in the UK. And now it is, I must say, I get a lot of approach. Can you see my, but it's usually, can you, only you and nothing but you see my son or my daughter? Obviously, it's difficult. I mean, I don't provide um, private um, uh, sessions because I work. And again, talking about balancing it. Um, and I, you know, there's a lot of colleagues who do, so I always divert to other colleagues. And I think there is a huge need at the moment. I certainly get inundated with responses, requests for um, just, can you just see my family? Can you just speak to someone? So I'm hoping to think that that has changed. Um, do you think, sorry to drop, do you think our, our community centres and certain community leaders should think about some sort of training for the speakers, scholars? I know there was a particular uh, mosque, I don't know if I'm allowed to name names, but there was a particular mosque last year, a couple of years ago before the pandemic, and had a group of workshops and invited quite a lot of the psychotherapists to to provide these workshops. And I think our mosques need to, because something I always said um if you need a strong, if you want to have a strong community, you really need to get in to try and improve their mental health and mental well-being. Because by doing so, you, you're starting to to create a generation where they have confidence in themselves, they have a positive mental health, they have faith in their abilities. They're not stuck in rooms shutting doors, not wanting to face the, the world. You know, when we talk about mental health, it's not just depression. Depression is one. We have anxiety we have worry these are all disorders these are all we've got mood disorders we've got anxiety disorders we've got depression we've got obsessive compulsive disorder which is so disabling and quite a lot of our brothers and sisters within the muslim community repeat that with all regularly and they think this is good practice um, a lot of our brothers and sisters repeat the prayers regularly you mean repeat it because they think they've done a mistake oh okay that way, yeah. yeah. You could repeat it twice, but not twenty-seven times. Uswas, they have. Absolutely, Yeah, um, I remember hearing a, a hadith. I genuinely don't know how uh, authentic it is, but I guess it was a good hadith, and I used it. But I'd like anyone who is able to support me with a hadith that has can support mental health. Um, Apparently there was, again, I do apologise if this is just a made-up hadith, and we do have a lot of made-up hadith. We do, yeah. Google. If it works, then it's psychotherapy. Okay. <laughs> um, apparently there was a, a companion of the Prophet who um, was almost always available and praying with the Prophet, um, and then except for his brother was never coming. And also he was the one that working and feeding the family of the brother. And the Prophet kind of asked about, is your brother okay? And he was like, oh, my brother is just so obsessed about committing sin that he's constantly praying and constantly, you know, doing this mm. and constantly making sure that he does not sin where I provide because he's constantly praying and doing all this. So that I, therefore, he can't go out and I'll, I'll provide for his family. 
and um, and the prophet sort of sent a message to say that um, that he is um, that he's in the companion of of, of shaitan. So wiswas is something that without knowing, you know, we mm. know wiswas al khannas, of course. Yeah. But within a psychology, we have obsession is the meanings we attach to our intrusions. So if I have done my wudu, suddenly I get this thought. What if I didn't do it correctly? Well, let me do it again. And I go and do it again. And I come back and say, ooh, what if that wasn't the correct wudu again? And then my salat is batal and then I go to hell. Like such an extreme. Oh, and then they get really anxious because of course we all want to do our work. And, and we see this in Hajj regularly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then they go back again, and then they go back again. And that prayer becomes a dread. Every time it's Salat al-Luhur, it becomes a dread because it takes about four hours to just do Luhur <laughs> and Asr. So, yeah. and I've heard this on a regular, I, I, I had a, pa- there are patients, there are people out there who have come to me and said, I shower literally on the hour to make sure I am pure. Okay. And then you have a, a, a non-Muslim person comes to me and says, I wash my hands six times until it feels right that I know I'm not contaminated with dirt. Wow. Okay? So these are obsessive compulsive behaviors. We get the intrusion, this is dirty. And we respond to the intrusion rather than think my, my brain is playing games with me. I, I could be driving, suddenly I get an intrusion that I'm going to drive into a car. We've all had these intrusions. Mm. Or somebody's going to jump in front of my car. I don't respond to those intrusions. Somebody else does. And then there's something about the brain that the more you respond to something, the brain thinks it's done a great job. Let me remind her again. And then that's where it's repeated obsessive intrusions. We have people who have social anxiety. Quite a lot of people have social anxiety. A recent study showed that, I think in Saudi Arabia, that I think 80% of people, 70% of people had social anxiety. It was that high. We call it khajal. Mm. But it's social anxiety where people are about to die when they go into social situation. Their heart's beating so fast and they're so worried about being judged and they're so worried about making a mistake that they're unable to perform in social settings. And and, and, and a, a lot of people do become socially phobic where mm. they avoid being in social situation. They cancel we also have other disorders like health anxiety, hypochondriasis, where people are so worried about their health, regularly checking their throat, their neck, their back, in and out of GPs, constantly checking, Googling about little symptoms. Oh, I've got a little spot. Is it cancer? Is it this? And a lot of people think now hearing me probably think, oh, my God, I have that. And it's so unknown. Okay. And people are kind of really reassurance seeking regularly. Do you think this is cancer? Oh my God, do you think I should go and see to the GP? And the distress therein. Okay? And it's just these disorders that disables you. Imagine you try and finish university with these distresses, mm. go to an interview with these level of distress. So when you're improving your mental health, you're improving yourself, you're improving your nation. If we are impacting like that, honestly, when you said, come and do this podcast, it's not something I usually do. But I kind of thought, if anything I say... It's going to make a difference in someone's mind and says, you know what, I'm going to actually go and Google health anxiety now or I'm going to actually go and to my local IAP services and say, I think I have social anxiety and I need help for it. Within 12 sessions, you're free from social anxiety, you're free from health anxiety, you're free from OCD. Hopefully he's a good therapist, of course, but 
you know, quite a lot of us Iraqis are a traumatized nation. You know, Our history. And I, I, yeah, absolutely. Have you done anything about it? A lot of us get nightmares. A lot of us sitting suddenly in a majlis and get an intrusion of either, you know, a, a beating I've had or a car accident I went through. And that kind of makes me feel like I relive it. I have a flashback. Um, quite a lot of people have been through imprisonment, you know, in and, and Iraq. You know, m- most of our fathers, most of our, um, you know, people that have lost lives, like, you know, they were doctors and and engineers and pilots and god i saw those people in my clinics and they just constantly had intrusive memories of the tortures or intrusive memories of their friends being killed quite a lot of us have lived through the war most of us have gone to iraq suddenly there was a a bombing that we probably witnessed what do i do with that memory that keeps popping into my mind that Mm. i keep having nightmares about Okay, what I went through as a young person in in Iraq when I was six years old, there's a specific memory that is not going away. And years on, if I smell it, that memory pops into my head. But I have dealt with that. And I know what that is. So I often say, it's okay. And sometimes it validates how tough it was. And then I say, well done, you've come a long way. Rather than shooting myself thinking you're going mad, why are you having these? That was 10 years ago. So I think these are, these are really important issues that we need to, to, to address. We ask all our guests, people that watch The Progeny know this, about a word that means something to <laughs> them or uh, a word that um, describes them or any word that comes to mind. We, we, we sometimes put them on the spot because we do it as soon as we're about to start recording. Um, and you chose the word adventurous. You did put me on the spot. And the only thing Why? that I could have was adventurous. I think I am an adventurous person. I think this is an adventure. Okay. And I take risks. Mm. That comes with knowing myself. And I'm okay with making mistakes. I don't shoot myself if I made a mistake. I always say, oh, you tried. Again, it's my relationship with myself here. But I'm also adventurous because I like trying new ideas. That's what makes life so exciting, doesn't it? You know, if you're constantly doing the same thing every day, it, you know, it, it's boring. Okay, so it's so nice to be able to have new ideas, new places. Like, I, I'm a traveller, but with the pandemic, I can't do that. You know, I'm a person that went away for weekends and I loved it. Okay, that, that sense of adventure. I recall one day, bless my mother, I called her and say, uh... I'm at work. I'm just going to come to grab my passport because I'm flying tonight. She's like, where? I was like, uh, my brother's in Venice. I'm just going to join him. He's like, how? I was like, he's on a business trip. I'm just going to join him. Obviously, I was able to do that in them days. I was a lot younger, of course, with l- very little responsibilities. Um, but that's the sort of a person that I like to adventure, the idea of throwing yourself into the unknown. But that is only possible when you are able to cope with the unknown. And have faith that no matter where they throw you, you can find a way to get out or problem solve. Um, So, um, as I said to you, this is an adventure and and I'm trying to plan my next uh, road trip to... When's the next road trip? Oh, where, where, sorry. I've read about Cotswold. Okay. I know. It's the prettiest villages in the UK. Okay. Well, in England. 
and I'd like to travel and kind of do that. I'm, I, I like history. I like places that are old. Um, since I can't fly and I don't need to quarantine or come back and stay at home and worry about PCRs and all that stuff, I decided to drive to Oxford, to Gloucestershire, and hopefully check out. So the last two days, all I've been doing, where to stay, where <laughs> to stay, and what to do, and what to see. Well, um, inshallah, you'll have a great trip, uh, an adventurous one. I'd like to thank you for making time for the Progeny podcast. Um as you said, you know, if one person has some maybe mental health issues or has some questions, hopefully this will answer some of his questions. There was a lot of other points that I wanted to tackle, but I did say that I won't take a lot of your time. Maybe in the future we can do this again, but I'd like to thank you, Nazanin, for making time for My pleasure. Project. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. My heart is no longer palpitating for sure. Alhamdulillah. So that's Alhamdulillah. good. <laughs> but I have this feeling every time I do these podcasts. It's so normal. Okay. It's so normal. Just calm yourself down and say, you've done this so many times and it's so okay for you <laughs> it to happens have happens every time. You'll be okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having thank me. You.